Let me invite you to turn in our Father's Word to the verses that I read a few moments ago in James chapter 5. James chapter 5, beginning at verse 14, where we see that we are supposed to pray for healing. We're supposed to pray for healing. Now that may seem hardly worth stating. Don't all Christians know that? Don't we instinctively, naturally pray for healing? In many of the church's prayer meetings, requests for healing comprise the majority of the prayer requests. But we can't take it for granted that every Christian or professing Christian prays for healing. A fresh graduate of Duke Divinity School, just two weeks into his first pastorate, was visiting a woman in the hospital who had terminal cancer. And she said to him, I would like you to pray for me. And he didn't say out loud, but thought, oh boy, I'm not sure that I have worked out all of my unanswered questions about prayer. Uh, how would you like me to pray for you? He said, she said, well, I'd like you to pray for healing, of course. Or that if I'm not going to be healed, that I won't suffer too much before I die. Well, he stammered, I, I'm not sure that I fully understand or believe in prayer for healing. And she said, well, that's okay, I do. So you just hold my hand and bow your head and close your eyes and pray. You'll get the hang of it. <laughs> How would you like to have a pastor like that? His problem was not primarily his youthful inexperience, but his liberal theology. However, you can't assume that even somebody with a more conservative biblical theology will naturally, instinctively pray for healing. A young man we'll call Richard had a stroke that left him virtually paralyzed on the whole right side of his body. And a friend, Ron, said, I, I'd be happy to pray for you. Ron had been used by God in praying in faith for healing for many people and seen some pretty remarkable instances of healing. And when he made that offer, Richard thanked him but said, no, I, I, I don't think so. Actually, I have grown so close to God through my affliction that I don't want to miss out on anything good that God might have to teach me through this experience. Well, Ron agreed that uh, God had used this affliction remarkably, but suggested that maybe God wanted to do something special in Richard's life now by healing him. And Richard thought about it for a moment, but, but declined. And Ron asked Richard, if he took physical therapy to improve his condition. And he said, well, yes, of course I do. And then Ron asked, why would you try to improve your situation through therapy, but not through prayer? 
And Richard shrugged his one good shoulder and admitted, I, I don't know. James says we're supposed to pray for healing. Verse 14 of James chapter 5. Is any one of you sick? Now, James doesn't say how sick you have to be to practice what follows. Presumably, he's not talking about a passing tummy ache or the sniffles. He seems to envision someone who is sick enough that he can't get out to church because he asks the elders of the church to come to him. Is any of you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Now, as an aside here, let me state what maybe should be obvious but isn't. The elders and pastors of the church are not mind readers. They do not know necessarily when someone is hospitalized or sick or when the sick person would appreciate a visit. Contemporary American Christian culture uh, assumes that someone seriously ill, certainly hospitalized, will be visited by a pastor, but uh, James puts the initiative here with the sick person. Call for the leaders of the church for this ministry of prayer. Is any one of you sick? He should call for the elders of the church to pray over him. Now, elders do not, as a job requirement, possess miraculous healing gifts. Nor are elders' prayers necessarily more effective than the prayers of other Christians. But James realizes that one way that love can be expressed in the body of Christ is when the leaders of the church care and show that care by visiting and by coming to pray for their flock. And did you notice, not yet in the passage that I read out loud a moment ago, but in the context that one particular kind of prayer may be called for, confession. We read here in the last part of verse 15, or I'll just read the whole verse of 15. The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. James knows that sometimes, not always, but sometimes, illness can be tied to undealt with sin. The Apostle Paul told the Corinthian church that some of their members were sick because of the way they had disgraced the Lord's table. David said in Psalm 32 that when he kept unconfessed sin in his heart, he was miserable. His strength was sapped. He groaned day and night. And it's no secret that ulcers, shingles, anxiety attacks, high blood pressure, chronic pain, and other issues can have roots in undealt with sin. The head of a psychiatric hospital said that he could empty two-thirds of his beds 
if he could convince patients that they were forgiven. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him, and maybe including letting the sick person pray a prayer of confession, and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. There are two main ways to understand James's reference to oil here. One way is to say that the oil is symbolic or ceremonial. That it is a physical reminder of God's gracious touch on an individual. In the Bible, oil was periodically used in different kinds of consecration ceremonies as a tangible reminder that God was reaching out and touching the person. And so, even though scholars, faithful Bible interpreters, do not all agree on what James means here, our church continues this tradition of anointing with oil, at least as a ceremonial or symbolic gesture. But it's also possible that oil was medicinal. Which is why, as a second main point in my sermon, the outline is there in the bulletin, I say, prayer and medicine work together. The ancients used oil as an almost universal medicinal agent. Lubricating massage of sore muscles, cleansing wounds as a salve for infections. And so perhaps James is saying here, pray and take your medicine. Which, whether or not that's what James is saying in James chapter 5, is actually a biblical idea. Isn't this the basic approach we take with meeting other needs? We pray for our daily bread, and then we get a job. We pray for good government, and then we get out the vote. We pray for church growth, but then we don't sit around twiddling our thumbs. We engage in ministry initiatives, and we preach and teach. Prayer was never meant to be a substitute for God-appointed means. And you can't beat the old story. Two little girls realized that they were going to be late for school, and so they started running, and after a minute or two, one of the girls said, maybe we should stop and pray. The other one said, maybe we should pray while we run. Precisely. Pray and let the chiropractor adjust you. Pray and get your knee replaced. Pray and take your vitamin supplements or perhaps your chemo. Of all the horror stories I've heard about misguided faith, over the years, the worst, are stories where someone needlessly died, especially a child, because the church taught or the parents believed that it was a lack of faith that would drive anyone to consider medical means. Early in my ministry here, I'd only been at the church for a few months when I received a phone call from a woman, I don't remember who, I don't remember if I've ever actually met the person, 
who welcomed me to the community and said, you know, you're going to hear lots of stories of dramatic healings as pastor of Christ Community Church. I just want you to know that there are other stories that you may not hear, like my mother's. My mother grew up in old Zion. As a child, she had, and I forget what the exact affliction was, but the leaders of the church told her that it would be wrong to seek medical treatment for that, and as a result, she went blind and spent the rest of her life blind. We believe in divine healing here, but we wish to distance ourselves from that strain of teaching in early Zion history. James believed in prayer and anointing with oil. Paul believed in prayer, but he told young Timothy to take some wine for his stomach ailments and traveled with a physician, Dr. Luke. Old Testament wise men believed in prayer, but wrote, honor physicians for their services, for the Lord created them. For their gift of healing comes from the Most High. The Lord created medicines out of the earth, and the sensible will not despise them. A girl suffering from anorexia and bulimia was undergoing treatment in the hospital. She had gotten so weak and sick that she had to be hospitalized. And on one particularly difficult day, she was told to drink a glass of milk, but she just couldn't bring herself to do it. So the doctor was called in, he sat down next to her on the bed and said, you're a Christian, aren't you? She said, yes. He said, do you remember when Jesus healed the man near the pool, the pool of Siloam? Um, he put mud on his eyes to bring about healing. Do you remember that? She said, yes. The doctor said, no. What was it that actually healed the man? She thought for a moment and said, well, it was his faith. He said, good, good. Now drink your mud. Drink your mud. We're supposed to ask for healing. Healing and medicine work together. And last thing we see in this text is that God answers prayers for healing. Verse 15 again. The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. Now, most of us know instances where a sick person was prayed for and did not get well. That does not mean that James was wrong. I trust that you understand that statements like this in the Bible do not turn God into a genie or cancel out his mysterious sovereignty. God is God, and he will do what's best, and he knows what's best. So some interpreters will point out that it says here, the prayer of faith will heal the sick. 
and say, if you pray for healing and don't get healed, then it's obvious that you didn't have a strong enough faith. You didn't believe enough. And there is some strain of that kind of teaching in Zion's history. Well, author Ron Blue addresses this idea that only the prayer of strong enough faith will heal someone. He says, if there was ever a question in my mind about an absolute cause and effect relationship between faith and healing, it was totally destroyed by the death of the British pastor evangelist David Watson. I had regular contact with David during the years prior to his death. In addition to helping me in the founding of my own evangelistic street mission, he inspired my interest in healing and deliverance. He was fully persuaded that God still heals the sick today and claimed that God had healed him on a number of occasions. Well, after David's cancer was diagnosed, many prayer meetings were called on his behalf all over the world. I personally participated in prayer for him in Canada, the United States, and Holland. I have firsthand knowledge that he was prayed for expertly, faithfully, and abundantly to the end. Along with Billy Graham and the Pope, David Watson may have been one of the most prayed for religious leaders in recent history. And yet he died as the doctors predicted. I am sure that if enough prayer and faith guaranteed healing, David would be alive today. On the other hand, Ron Blue describes situations where lack of faith did not prevent God from healing. One instance was that of Jan, a woman from a, a Christian background that was deeply suspicious of anything vaguely supernatural. But she happened to be at one of his meetings, had seen other people healed, and trembling, came up for prayer with a skin cancer on her cheek, an open lesion that was itching and running, and only reluctantly did she let Ron and his wife pray for her. And when they had finished praying, she almost seemed relieved, <laughs> at least unsurprised, that nothing had changed. But the next day, she came back to the meeting and showed them where that open, itching, oozing lesion had been just 24 hours earlier, and her skin was perfectly clear. So there is not an absolute cause-and-effect relationship between a person's faith and God's decision to heal. Now, another interpretation of, John, of James's phrase, the prayer of faith, is that this is the kind of prayer when the person praying senses in that very moment that in this case, today, right now, God is hearing and saying yes. John Mazzardi, one of our former associate pastors, heard that interpretation. It made sense to him and would tell you that there was one time where he was praying for someone deathly ill, 
And in that moment, sensed God saying, John, I'm going to say yes this time. But the person died anyway. So, why doesn't James say, sometimes the prayer offered in faith will heal the sick? Well, why didn't the psalmist say, sometimes God will protect you from all harm? Why doesn't Proverbs say, when you raise up a child in the way he should go, sometimes he will turn out all right? Why didn't Jesus say, when you ask, sometimes you will receive. Why didn't the Bible qualify these statements? Well, God hasn't revealed this miraculously to me, but my discernment is that the Bible likes to make good, strong statements without multiple qualifications and footnotes in order to bolster our faith and confidence in a faithful God. Of course we are to remember that God is sovereign. That God is not that genie. That God is not a celestial vending machine where if you just push the right buttons you get what you ask for. But that realization is supposed to make us humble. Not skeptical. Like some of us are by wiring or because of our Western culture and education. Bruce Britton, a name that will mean something to many of you, was a veteran missionary in Eswatini, formerly Swaziland. He worked with the Zionists very effectively, very energetically, and years ago received the disturbing diagnosis that he had AIDS, that he was HIV positive. He couldn't understand how this could be. He knew he had been faithful to his wife, hadn't had sex outside of marriage or before marriage. He knew his wife had been faithful to him. The only thing he could think of is that a couple years earlier he had had a blood transfusion and maybe he had gotten some tainted blood, but he called for prayer. His family here in the United States traveled to Africa to be with him and to pray for him. His supporting churches and individuals here back at home and in Europe and in Africa prayed for him. And then doctors tested him again and found that there was no evidence of HIV. No AIDS. Interesting thing is, all of Bruce's Western friends assumed that there had been a misdiagnosis the first time. His African friends were convinced that Bruce had been healed. The prayer offered in faith will heal the sick. The Lord will raise him up. We're supposed to pray for healing. Healing and medicine work together. And God answers prayers for healing. Now, your elders are going to ask the members of the church to amend our doctrinal statement. Because 
divine healing, precious truth that it is, probably does not belong up there with those core doctrinal commitments that define and safeguard the gospel, and because we don't want potential members or pastoral candidates to be put off or confused, but, but, but we want you to know that we want to be more like Bruce Britton's African friends. Confident that God can heal. And God does heal. One last story. Pastor Tony was visiting in ministry in a city not his own, and a woman asked if he wouldn't mind while he was in town coming to the hospital to pray for her husband who had cancer. So he did. That was a Sunday afternoon. Midweek, he got a call from this woman. She said, you prayed for my husband. He had cancer. Tony thought, had? It's happened. She said he died. And Tony felt terrible. She continued, don't feel bad. That Sunday when you prayed for him, he was filled with anger. He knew he was going to be dead in a short period of time, and he was angry at God. He's only 58 years old. He wanted to see his children and his grandchildren grow up. He didn't understand why an all-powerful God wouldn't take away his sickness and heal him. He would lie in bed and curse God. And the more his anger grew toward God, the more miserable he was to everybody around him. It was an awful thing to be in his presence. I wanted to be there and support him, but he was hard to be with. But after you prayed for him, a peace and a joy came into him. Pastor Tony, the last three days have been the best days of our life. We've sung, we've read scripture, we've laughed. These have been wonderful days. I wanna, wanted to call and thank you for laying your hands on him and praying for healing. And then she said, he wasn't cured, but he was healed. Bow with me in prayer. We come to you, our Father, who in Scripture has made himself known to us as Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. We want to take your name at face value. We want to take James seriously. We want to be people of robust confidence that you heal in answer to prayer. We also want to be people who understand what that means and what it doesn't mean. For the greater glory of our Lord Jesus, who healed so many in his earthly ministry, but not all. It is in his name that we pray 
Right now, for your mercy on our loved ones, some of their names are coming to minds as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, who we ask might be healed. And we pray for wisdom for our congregation and the leaders of our church as we seek to articulate more faithfully what we believe and then to practice what we believe. For Christ's sake and in his name. And let all his people say, Amen. Would you stand for the benediction? The Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.